Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next podcast here at Treknababble. This is Kevin. This is Matthew. And we are going to be reviewing uh, Broken Link, the uh, final episode of Season 4 uh, for Deep Space Nine. Um, yeah, I, I like this episode. It's uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. Well, um, you know, I think Season 4 started off with a bang, and in some ways this is uh, kind of the resolution of at least... The season four story, if you want to call it that, um, you know, we get a lot of Klingon stuff and we get Odo sort of moved forward significantly. Um, my only concern, the Klingon stuff has been pretty entertaining. My only concern is that sometimes Odo stories can tend to, I don't know, uh, what would be a word to describe it? I mean, I'm thinking of, uh, what's the... It's the rock story. Heart of Stone. Yeah. <laughs> Odo stories seem to me to have a tendency to, like, veer off into sort of long, meandering scenes that go nowhere. So uh, that would be the only thing I'd be worried about if I were to hear that this was, was an Odo story going into it. You know, it's like, it's like, oh, here's Odo in a room, like, shivering for five minutes. It's like, I, I get it. He's alien. You know, move on. Get to the plot. Right. Do you see what I'm saying, Kevin? I get that. Um, well, I mean, looking at the back half of Deep Space Nine for this season, um, most of the episodes have been pretty good. I think there's only one or two we, we just ended up really not liking. Um, and, but with the exception of To the Death, none of them really advance either the uh, um, Dominion or Klingon plots. I mean, To the Death um, does some Dominion work, but even that doesn't really advance the Dominion story. We, we learned some stuff about the Dominion, and it's a great episode. Yeah. Um, but a, a lot of the setup that they set up in the first half of the season doesn't really get a lot of follow-up, so this feels like their attempt to do that. And, uh, and I'll argue this at the end. I, I think they were largely successful. They left me yeah. entertained no, I guess, I, wanting to know what I happened. I get the impression... Sorry. No, I was just going to say, like it just uh, my only complaint sort of structurally is it does feel a little rushed. Like, they remembered, oh, right, we... Uh, put all these balls into play and now we have to land them before the end of the season. So we'll do it now. Yeah. Um, they could have well, turned this into a few more episodes sprinkled throughout the season and made what I think is a, you know, good episode even better. Yeah, I agree. I, I get the feeling that, you know, they were sort of given the, uh, directive from on high that they needed to punch things up a little bit and, you know, they felt the way to do that was to uh, make the Klingons bad guys again and advance the whole Dominion thing, you know? And so they did that in the first few episodes. And then I don't mean this in a pejorative sense because it turned out that many of these episodes were better, but they then sort of settled into the basic Deep Space Nine, you know, and the basic modern Trek episode rhythm, which is you know, character-focused stories, right? Yeah. Um, as opposed to serialized stories. Um, and so I agree. It seems like this is like, well, guess we got to do a cliffhanger, you know, or, or some big conclusion because uh, that's what we established last season or something. Um, and they are going to keep doing that. Uh, you know, it's season four is sort of a transitional season, I guess, uh, in a good way. You know, it's a transition from, you know, meandering uh, sort of 
wayward plotting uh, to something a little more coherent and cohesive. Um, but it's not like, it's not there yet. Like it's not the way it's going to be in season six or season, season seven, right. With these just like long continuous stories. Uh, all right. Well, why don't we get started? All right. I'm queued up. Yep. Me too. So get ready at home and we will press play all together in three, two, one, press play. All right, Kevin, tell me what you make of this whole thing. We've got Garrick introducing, like Garrick is playing matchmaker, uh, introducing Odo to Chalan Arroyo. So w without checking memory alpha, can you tell me what other episode this woman appeared in? Or unless you've already checked memory alpha. Oh, I haven't already checked. She does look familiar, doesn't she? Yeah. Uh... Jill Jacobson. Let's see. I, I... Oh, wow. Yeah. Her hair looks way different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for those of you not currently checking memory alpha, she was the uh, Texan's girlfriend in the casino in the Royale. Yeah. She looks much better uh... here, I'm going to say. Well, yeah, you know, it's... Uh seven or eight years later in terms of hairstyles um i mean she's aged a little bit but uh yeah the hair is definitely more flattering yeah i'll say okay i always read this scene as i don't think garrick was acting out of like a primary altruism for odo i think garrick just like stirring pots like this was just he was bored and this was that like watching odo react would provide entertainment that's kind of how i always read this moment see i kind of felt like it was some sort of friendship thing like he felt bad for torturing him you know hmm. a season ago and he's trying to throw him some some tail or something um because it, it like the way he's giving advice and stuff here yeah i can see that i do i do like the line i've just witnessed a crime I, Odo's reticence seems a little disingenuous to me. You know, you're obsessed with these convoluted mating rituals. What have you been obsessed with, Odo? Convoluted mating rituals with Kira, right? Well, he's uh, he's obviously covering. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, and you know, Rene Abergenois is acting it pretty well. You know, there there are there are different shades to it. Yeah, yeah. There, there are notes of. He's pretending to be uninterested because he doesn't want to admit what he's actually interested in. You can tell an effect is going to happen here. Yeah, yeah. Because the, the, the lighting just... Yeah, the layering changes. is a little weird. Uh, I mean, not all of that is digital. He's clearly, you know, Rene Aubergeois is clearly chucking himself about the room, and he did, he did a good job with that. Sure. The visual effect itself was not the best. Yeah, the, there was like, it was a little washed out. Like, you, you, you knew you were looking at green screen. Um, well, I, I just mean the actual uh, superimposing of the changey stuff on his body. Like, it, it didn't look as good as some of the recent uh, shifting effects have been. I suppose most of those effects have been complete uh, sort of abyss style. Um, yeah. You know, amber goo as opposed to 
really mixing uh, a human body with the amber goo. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like, are they trying to indicate that Odo is over Kira? <laughs> like, it seems like that's what they were trying to do. Because in the Memory Alpha stuff, you know, they mentioned that this uh, female character was supposed to be a recurring love interest. Yeah. And they sort of nixed that and brought back a different one. So not only did they have the idea once, they had it twice until they eventually settled on <sighs> what they eventually settle on, which is, oh, hey, let's just put Odo and Kira together anyway. Yeah, I got to say, I actually like uh, the next episode they do, the, the uh, what's it called, um... A simple investigation. I like yeah. uh, the actress so much, and I thought it was like a fun war, you know, gumshoe style story that I really enjoyed it. And I like the idea that eventually Odo would get over Kira. That makes sense. That's an internally credible response to oh yeah being jilted <laughs> like three or Absolutely. four times. Um, I can't, yeah, that was well, and not just jilted, but jilted, and then treated in such an oblivious yeah like awful way and look i say this as a boy who's had his heart stomped on by by more than one girl because she was oblivious to his feelings you know they wrote that very well if they were doing it intentionally right i mean they they perfectly encapsulated the feeling right. of a guy who is completely unrequited and the woman is a total dick about it basically all right, anyhow. Uh, this back room in, sick in the infirmary always felt a little underdeveloped to me. Like The infirmary in general is very... It, it never feels like sickbay, basically. And Any I, of the sick bay. In a weird way, I mean, that could kind of be the point. Like, uh, on, a, on this Cardassian station, the... You know, it's not like this warm, welcoming place where you go to recuperate. It's, you know, very utilitarian. Very, but it, the result is, especially this back examination room, has always felt very stark. Well, and you look at that console in the back, right? It's like, clearly, they haven't built this set out. They just, right. like, roll stuff in, you know? Yeah. Like, here's here's a cart, and here's a triangular sign, you know? Eh. It, it doesn't make it feel like a real place. It makes it feel like a room. Yeah. That they've put stuff in. Like, what's that grid in the back? I don't like, know. Like, even if they had started that way, I would have liked some development over time. All right, so here we have uh, Gauron. And so we're back to the sort of saber-rattling stuff. You know, the Klingons want to keep some of their acquisitions, but they also want the Federation to uh, give up some planets. That's a little odd, don't you think? I mean, I'm sure, I guess it's supposed to be odd. Right, right. <laughs> it's, um, this is a weird focus effect. I also find it strange that Gauron is sort of like flanked by these dudes who are <laughs> sort of like, they're like his posse or something. Uh, I assume they're his Praetorian guard. I did like the klingon uh symbol on the wall like that was like a good office kira knows a lot about uh klingon claims 
Well, given the time frame, we can assume this was part of the, you know, Organian Peace Treaty. I, I think that's, you know, oh, hey, a no, high I'm not, school level history. I'm not questioning that. Yeah. I'm questioning why the hell Kira knows anything about it, unless she's just boned up in the previous hour or something. Well, it's just an odd line to give Kira. I mean, it's yeah. like, like I, I believe she knows it. She's a, she's a smart cookie. Um, it just seems like Dax would be the one to volunteer that piece, that observation. It's like, I help negotiate. Right. Yeah. Okay, sneezing for pregnancy. Well, of all the choices they could have made, it's... I, I think it's fine. I, got, I, I have to credit uh, Nana Visitor. She sneezed convincingly. Like it yeah, really, I agree with that. It really seemed like she was sneezing because her nose itched. Like that was well. Like I, I imagine some production assistant like blowing pepper in her face like a cartoon. Um, there's a couple of touches to Bajoran pregnancy that I really liked. Um, my favorite of which is the way Bajoran women give birth as they're so relaxed and so blissed out that the um, endorphins uh, become toxic to the child, and that's what like provokes the actual birth process. And I thought that that just cracked me up as a kid. It's uh, it's interesting comic relief. Yeah, I'll be interested to see if they just go back to that well too many times. So they know Odo's sick. Um, I mean, I guess he has to be off duty. So right, right. Like he would be it. there for this conversation otherwise. Uh, that was actually something I was uh, I was sketching out my thoughts for the uh, written review. And something I like about a couple of the interactions over the course of the episode with Kira, Garrick, and Quark in particular, I really th think they did a good job of hitting some very nice notes with Odo and the people around him. Um, you know, he's not close to anyone. I mean, closest person he's it would be Kira, obviously, but he's not he's not chummy, even more so than Worf has ever been. Um, yeah. So I well, like, so I liked I liked Worf talking about how you should leave him alone, right? Because that's a very Worf thing to say. And I like Kira bringing him work to do, and then yeah, you know yeah. leaving. Like that's it gives credit to their actual friendship as not just an avatar for his unrequited love, but an actual friendship. She she is also aware of what the man actually needs to help navigate this crisis. She's well, not. It, oh God. To, to me, though, it kind of raises the question of how she could be so oblivious to his romantic feelings when she's clearly sensitive to his other, you know, his other emotions. Other, other yeah. This is a good scene. I, I like it. Like, the actress is fun. We've seen her before. Um, and I get that Odo... Like, if she were on the station at all and her being on the station was some arrestable offense, why wasn't she arrested when she came on the station or why didn't you have a deputy do this? Like it's, it's like we just did it to have another scene of Odo collapsing on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. I really think you should have sent a deputy and yeah, the effect, not great. Um, why would Bashir even let him out of the room? Yeah. You know, like he said, you shouldn't move. You could, you know, exacerbate the effect, disintegrate. You know, it's like, so he's gonna go try to bust a smuggling ring. All right. So this view of the room is a little bit more involved. Yeah. I so like, it's like yeah. they've been showing us the the lame wall. Right. Now it's the cool there. wall. I'm glad they put the blanket back. That was not the best. Again, yeah. Not very. It it's a weird melding of the practical effects and the visual effects. 
I think they should have just stuck stuck with this look here. Like he already looks sick. That's enough. Right, and they've never quite matched the physical optical version of his goo with the CGI version of his goo, and the CGI is just not good enough at this point in time to really seamlessly do it. If nothing else, it's like the greatest sin of a special effect. You you know it's there. You're like outside the story awareness is you are watching a digital effect. Yeah. Uh, good, good con. This episode does a really good job with some continuity follow-ups between consequences for what happens in the adversary, uh, Garrick fall- coming along to deal with the fallout of the uh, Cardassian invasion. Little Doctor Moore's name. This is this is elegant continuity use, certainly. Yeah, and it, it is something that DS9 is good at and is getting even better at. Um, you know, sort of picking up story threads and not ignoring stuff. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, it is rewarding, especially for those of us who have, <laughs> you know, suffered through some somewhat boring some stretches. Some move along home. Yeah. So, yeah, this seems like a leap. You have to take me back to my people. How will you find them? Well, at least they're discussing that. Yeah. They're, they're discussing the obvious problem. I think it makes sense that having exhausted Starfleet resources to try to cure it, and Bashir doesn't even you know fully understand what's going on, the next step would be, you know, go to the people who would know. Something has always bugged me about Kira's line there. She calls it Dominion Airspace. Yeah, I, like, I didn't catch that. Yeah, that's if, not. Yeah, that is an odd choice of words. The second we go into Dominion airspace, they'll be on. You know, it's like air. Are you part of the air force? Like, I don't know. So we're back on the Defiant. His molecular structure is scrambled enough as it is. The last thing he needs is a trip through a transporter buffer. That's one of those failed attempts to explain away the obvious question. Because we've established many, many, many times the transporter doesn't scramble you. You know, it just, whatever it does, it doesn't mess you up. But we'll let it go. Well, there was that time when they, well, in the original Trill episode in TNG, when Odan didn't want to be transported to it. But I assume uh, that was a phobia, not an actual medical problem. No, I I think they were indicating that it really could damage the trill somehow, which, like you say, is ridiculous. Yeah, my brain is at least as sensitive as the symbiont, just putting that yeah. out there. How did Garrick even get on the ship? <laughs> yeah, but I guess they decided since when they had the palm print identification dealie, it failed miserably. They just They just dispensed with it. So this is, uh, you know, a bit of expository dialogue, just in case you didn't watch this episode. I live in hope. That's <laughs> a well-delivered line, you know. Yeah, like, like, this could easily feel tacked on, like it, like they just had Garrick along because Andrew Robinson was free this week, which, don't get me wrong, is an entirely valid creative yeah, that's reason a good to enough include reason. Garrick. But I like this. And I like, I like, this is, this is another one of the moments I was talking about where I, I really appreciate 
some of the character interactions for Odo. Like, having Garrick sit there to, you know, distract him by being devious, that is actually something you would do to make Odo feel better. And and, and it speaks well of Sisko. Like, Sisko understands the sympathy he would offer a human crew member is not what Odo wants or needs. In innuendos, half-truths, and bald-faced lies. It sounds like an average Republican political speech. Yeah. Speaking uh, of Republicans and Cardassians, did you see the picture that was making the rounds toward the last election of um, of Romney and Paul Ryan next to a picture of Dukat and Wayoon and how terrifyingly <laughs> close the two pictures looked? It's hilarious. I had not seen that, but it, that... It, you should Google it. It's pretty, fun. it's pretty funny. And, and here's another example. I like this scene, too, of Cor- of Cork being like, I, I, I expect to own the station by the time you get back. Like, it's, you know, like the, the, the grudging respect of adversaries presented in a way that's not cloying or too on the nose. Like, it's actually, it's nice. Well... I actually do think they they move just a bit far into cloying territory um, with Quark's line here. Uh, I can see that, but but overall, I really like the scene. Yeah, I like the scene generally. I I was worried that they were going to go for like a like a wharf leaving the Enterprise kind of feel here, where people would like honor him and stuff. But I I. I'm happy that instead they have the extras just kind of look at him like he's weird. Yeah, it just feels gone. Which totally makes sense for the sort of alienation of the character. Right. And they're like, get out of the way and stuff. And and the Bajoran woman is like grossed out. Yeah. You know? Like, that's good. And it, it gives you an indication that they're not going for cheap emotional sort of moments, but instead they're doing what makes sense. And, you know, he should be uh, kind of a, an alien, unsettling character. You know, anyone who knows enough about it knows that he's part of the people that are this big threat. And even beyond that, you know, they would have sort of natural racism against such a weird creature. So I like that. Mm-hmm. I was a fan of that. You know, I watched a special feature, and um, I saw how they actually filmed the Defiant Bridge, mm-hmm. and it, it was kind of, I don't know, it kind of, uh, I don't want to say ruined the illusion, but, you know, knowing that the set ends right at those consoles, you know, uh-huh. I don't like knowing that. <laughs> well, at least with the... Um... With the with the bridge of the Enterprise, uh, you know, you felt like it went on a little more. If, if nothing else, they filmed enough rooms just off the main sets that you always felt like it was there was yeah. more there. This is a nice sick bay. It does look like they just uh, recolored the yeah. chairs. Yeah, those profoundly uncomfortable looking. Yeah. Uh, sick pay quote-unquote beds yeah. what, what what always was uh what i was reading that was funny to me about the defiance set 
um, when they first did the cloaking effect, they didn't think they'd have to do it that often because they didn't expect to keep the cloaking device as a plot device. So they could have set up the lighting rigs to just be able to flip a switch to go from the two lighting setups, but they didn't go to the extra effort because they didn't think they'd need it again. So for the rest of the show, whenever they wanted to do the cloaking rig, they had to like redo the lights each time because there was only one rig, which you, you think during the offseason they would have just redone the set from scratch, or like done enough to not have to do that, but there you are. So here's another pregnancy scene. As soon as I walked in, they stopped. I mean, okay, I always enjoy O'Brien's Slice of Life stuff because it's it's charming, Calmini is so affable, you just buy all of it. I will say, okay, I enjoy the solution to the issue um, of Nana Visitor's pregnancy. I think of all the possible solutions, it's the most dramatically, it has the most potential than just, you know, having her hide behind cabinets for the next six months. Yeah. I will say the overall flavor of a lot of the stuff regarding Kira's pregnancy reads like, I don't know, like an, like an episode of Friends or something where it just felt like every line, at some point, a lot of the stuff they went for with the pregnancy felt very 20th century sitcom pregnancy. And maybe it's because the show is being written, I believe, almost exclusively, if not completely, almost exclusively by men who maybe had no first-hand knowledge of pregnancy. I don't know. It just felt like they, they made a lot of those, like, sitcom-y men versus women battle the sexes jokes over the course yeah. of this that that did start to wear a little thin. Okay, they've done that before, the little grabbing the chest thing, so I'm okay with it, but I always do get annoyed every time they add a special power to an alien. It starts to look a little silly. Well, what is it supposed to be? Like, they don't have, like, energy coming out of their hands, do they? It's just like, I don't know. It's weird. So here we have Salome Jens, uh, who actually appeared in that episode uh yeah heart of stone yeah and the search so they they keep coming back to her and she she's a great actress she has a great voice she just it's that like yeah. slightly smoky a little bit whiskey or something yeah yeah, yeah. And, it, and it just sounds great it just always sounds dramatic i wonder what she looks like under that makeup I saw. Uh, I was watching some uh, MacGyver on uh, Netflix, and she she plays a friend of one of the characters. So, you know, add detail to her face and a natural hairline, and you're not that far off. I can't decide where that accent is from. It's like it's like vaguely British. It's like like somewhere the British ruled, but not Britain itself. So, hmm. I feel like it's New Englandy. Well, that would that would that would that would that would work. That would satisfy. It is some place they did rule, but is not England. Yeah, like there we go. Um, I think by the time she comes back for the Dominion War arc, they redo her wig, which is good because this is looking a little odd. 
So it's funny, uh, you know, a little piece of dialogue here. He's still consumed by the innuendo. Yeah. Well, was that an innuendo, a half-truth, or a bald-faced lie? I wonder if that door actually moves. Yeah. it was completely closed and now it's completely open and no oh. no it just moved there we go there it goes i will say the physical makeup there is pretty good like the stuff on his face it actually does look like he's melting like oh yeah the hair and ear stuff yeah kind of disconcerting they really should have just stuck with that, as opposed to trying to constantly overlay the uh, digital effects. I feel like they didn't do anything to her hand. All right, this one's not bad. This one actually feels effective, but it's probably because they can just replace his entire body with the digital effect rather than trying to paste it on. Yeah. And they give him sort of a midway. Right, he he's looks, not quite healed. Right, but... he still looks sweaty. Has he had to undergo like his I, natural? I can... Yeah, I kind of don't understand why he doesn't just go in his bucket, like nonstop. See, that, this sickbay in the Defined, lots more walls, lots more interesting stuff on the walls. Well, and it looks like it's really installed, mm -hmm. you know, like into the wall. I kind of question that they'd let these Jemadar guys... Jemadar wander around? Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. I understand, I mean, on the one hand, they are surrounded by like a dozen Jemadar ships. If the Jemadar really wanted to do something, they would have done it. But I take your point. Well, and the the shapeshifters themselves are supposed to be so good in a fight that it just seems it's like as long as you just didn't have Federation guys with phasers around, that should be enough. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> she knows all about Kira. Uh, we still take an active interest in your well-being. <laughs> This reveal's handled very well. Like, like it makes sense Oda would suss it out. It makes sense they would do it. I, I like the way they built this. So it's an interesting callback to... Yeah. So was this the finale of the previous Last season? Last season, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, like I was saying, you know, it indicates that the creative staff on DS9 remembers its own stories. 
and wants to work in realistic sorts of consequences to them. Yeah, I mean, g given the number of <clears throat> excuse me, given the number of times changelings have you know intoned this edict that no changeling has ever harmed another, it makes sense that there would be consequences for doing so. That actually gives weight to it as like a legal cultural precept of the changelings. That makes sense. But if no one's ever done it, what's the precedent? Well, that's what they're... I mean, that's fun, watching a society deal with something it has never dealt with before. That That's interesting. That's, that, that's half of Star Trek. <laughs> I always thought that was a little propaganda-y bullshit, that there's, there's really been no interpersonal violence in this entire civilization's history. Over I'm not millennia? Saying, yeah. I'm not saying it's impossible... And certainly they are aliens, so maybe they are different, but come on. Well, and she indicates right here that there's disagreement in the link over what to do, which indicates that changelings can disagree, and thus you would think over millennia, you know, right. one would at least, like, punch another, right. not even kill, it's like harm, any harm whatsoever. So I wonder what the mechanics of this is supposed to be like. Is she like harboring some sort of antidote in her body? You know, like the whole thing was supposed to be that Wayun infected right, him. Right, right. You know, so presumably if he could be infected by it, she could be infected by it too, unless she were inoculated somehow. And so she's like carrying some sort of cure. I don't know. I suppose they don't really have to explain it. Yeah. Uh, this scene, I, I just love it. Like, I love the camera work, the claustrophobic feel, the extras in the background. It just, it, ugh, it's a, it's a great moment. They're dead. <laughs> Yeah, and I really have to credit Salome Jens. Like, w one of the things we always talk about for guest stars is ability to inhabit the, you know, fake universe. And she says Cardassia is dead, like she thinks it's a real place. And there's, yeah. like, she just, re it's just such a great scene. And it's, it's not what the show's about. It's not the entire episode. It's just this great 30 seconds that just, I mean, given how little we've seen the Dominion, it could be easy to forget that they're supposed to be threatening villains when she says cardassia is dead i'm like okay they're they're the villains well it, it's neat because it reminds us that the founders are um you know ruthless right uh, warmongers essentially yeah you know you know your race was doomed <laughs> the moment it attacked us you know like that kind of thing <laughs> So I think this mess hall and the sick bay, they're both the same set. They're just redressed. Hmm. Well, Chief, what do you expect to do if he's going to disintegrate? Yeah. It does make sense that he would want to be judged.
Yeah, this is good makeup work too. Like especially with the hair. Like I don't know what the hell they did to that wig, but it looks it looks like they took like a creme brulee torch to it to like melt the plastic in it because it it just looks really lumpin'. So Odo and I will transport to the surface. He can be transported? That's true. We just established he couldn't. <laughs> I guess she knows more about the sickness than Bashir does. Yeah. Well, uh, she yeah, knows I suppose, she can fix yeah, it. Bashir said it's not that he couldn't, it's that he shouldn't. But, yeah, fair point. Is this like the visiting spot for Solid? It's customs. You have to declare if you have any fruit. So this this is what I will say. Uh, I, first of all, that, that sky mat is not the best sky mat yeah. I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, the rock also looks quite fake. Yeah, it's, it's um, styrofoam. Well, maybe it's changelings making a rock, which would actually be better. Hmm. Um, but th this is what I'm talking about with the, the sort of tendency of changeling heavy episodes to sort of it's like we get that he's entering something and we get that it'll take some time but showing us that is just kind of boring you know it's like at least with Q episodes for instance we can actually go to the continuum and they'll show us some weird representation but here we are watching you know like Bashir collect rocks and Cisco pace. That's boring. I mean, I, yeah, I suppose that scene could have been as effectively achieved just have, watching them beam off the uh, transporter pad. All right, if I'm if memory serves, yeah, yeah. What do you think about this scene? Is this just too much? Is it just filler? I like it because the actors are good and the scene is fun, but <laughs> Michael Dorn is a tall man. <laughs> yeah. You know, I take it back. I actually like this. There's an er it Andrew Robinson is giving his scene an urgency that it's it's not just tactical wisdom here that's driving this, it's revenge. It is you know, like that makes sense. Like and now and realizing that, I enjoy this more. Like I, I it makes sense that he would lash out. This actually I take yeah, I take it back. This isn't filler. This is fun. I I agree with you. I like Garrick's motivation here. I'm a bit perplexed by Worf's motivation. You know, we're not here to make war. Like, I could kind of see him getting the argument. <laughs> I'm a warrior, not a murderer. I, 
I gotta say, you you gotta appreciate Garrick's balls. That was that was a gamble. <laughs> you think this junction is a reuse from TNG? It's gotta be. I mean, the shapes of the doorways are the same. If it, if it's not a straight redress, they certainly built a new set out of a lot of old pieces. Yeah. <laughs> you fight well for a tailor. If I ever get in a fist fight with a tailor, I'm gonna tell him that. Yeah, that's one of those lines that, you know, only one in a hundred people will be able to use. Yeah. Uh, only once in about 75 years. Nude Odo. Yeah, I, I remember finding it slightly odd when uh, I watched it the first time, because they've done like... If the... they can make him solid, they can give him clothes. Right, and or they could like... It's like they they clearly put makeup on him to like blunt his features everywhere the way his face is which seems like an odd choice well my thing is why not just yeah i don't like seeing odo's naked body i apologize to renee abergenois but yeah it's just not high on my well i don't think that's renee abergenois naked body either i think he's it looks he looks like um like lol data's and data's child before before she picked a um a body it's that like four pounds of makeup in a bodysuit well anyway my question is why not just cut Rene Arbergenois a break and not give him all the makeup for his face you know yeah that could have been fun well I think it would have made it more obvious and it would have people. underscored the act like I get he'll say this eventually like I think it's in the net in the season premiere of season five when he says they kept his face the same for the purpose of reminding him what he lost. But I agree. I think it would have been more interesting to see him as an actual just humanoid. Well, in the episode where we did see him in less of the makeup, uh, it was the time travel sort of episode yeah, yeah, on, yeah. on the planet. Yeah. It was really cool. Yeah. And it was cool when he turned into sort of the Curzon thing, too. Mm -hmm. It's blood, all right. Are we sure? We've been wrong so many times. I will say, I did like him in the surgical scrubs here, because that I remember thinking that was a little jarring when I saw Yeah, so he's wearing time. clothes. Hopefully, they will take advantage of the fact that they have a tailor uh, on the station and, you know, make Odo a real clothes horse. Like, that's really what he should do, is become a dandy. <laughs> Well, they, they do a couple of scenes like that, like with food and drink that he gets obsessed with. That would have been fun, seeing him dress like Garrick for a while. Yeah. My my only problem... Okay, I like this plot point. I The punishment makes sense. It is it is it is a, like, Dante-level punishment fitting the crime. I am completely on board as their narrative device. But l l let me ask you this. Even as a 13-year-old watching this episode... I kind of knew that probably by the middle of the next season, they would have solved this problem, you know? I'm kind of like, well, clearly Odo's not going to not be a shapeshifter for the balance of what I presumed to be this show's seven months, or seven seasons. Uh, do you remember, did, did you think that at the time, that this would be a temporary change? I always character? figured it would be temporary. On the other hand, uh, if I were to watch it now... I might think that they were just trying to get out from under expensive visual effects. Yeah. Um, but th that would be the makeup thing too. It's like the makeup would be 
one of the first things to go also. Yeah. Um, in some ways, I feel like it's a pretty weak-ass punishment, you know? It's like, we've slightly altered your life. But we'll send you back, and you'll still chill with all your friends and still be there to do anything you want to do against our interests. It's, um... I don't know. Well, that, that, I don't know. Like, given the first episode um, in season five, I, I think they address those issues. Like, his, like he feels a loss of ability to do his job. Like, he, even if he didn't derive as much personal enjoyment as he might have out of being a shapeshifter, he certainly took advantage of it professionally, which he can no longer do. Actually, now seeing her face, I can totally see well, you know what it is? She's she's flirting much more aggressively now. Like she was just being like cute and personable. This is th- that 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 she's trying there. I mean, she, she's really going for it, and th- now it looks the same. They should have had Odo become a ladies' man. Yeah, I really feel like they didn't go far enough, long enough with a lot of these uh with a lot of what they could have done with him being a humanoid. I do like that Garrick is spending six months in a holding cell. Sure it's gonna be during the off season when we won't see it, but hey, consequences. They only have three holding cells though. That seems like it would be a problem. Yeah. And so here's the little tail end coda. Yeah. So Odo's still getting a lot of stares, but like, what are they staring at? Yeah. He looks the same. You know, like they should have put a purple fin on his head or something. You know. <laughs> he should look different. Yeah, I agree. I feel like that would be a good indication to the viewer that this is the different Odo, because you could watch any episode where they don't mention it and not realize. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So he realized this now. Why didn't he realize it the previous time that he joined with the Great Link? Did he? Did he join with the Great Link? I thought he like shook hands with her, but that was it. Oh, maybe he didn't dive in. Yeah. I think Gobbajan was doing a, a good job in this scene. There's a his his physical pain. I agree can occasionally be a little much, but his you know. Well, I, I agree on the emotional stuff, yeah. yeah. He, he, it's I just think... when he's like doubled over that yeah. it, it's too much for me. Yeah, they really should have gone easier on the makeup on his face. Yeah. I got to imagine that René Arbogenois was annoyed. Yeah. Nobody gives Worf dirty looks. There's a pack lead in the back there. Yeah. (laughs) I wonder if he wonder if he's looking for things. Things to make him go. This seems like one of those arbitrary sorts of things. It's like 
Like, so, it, yeah, it's a complete blending of form and thought and identity, but for, I don't know, the stuff that was password protected. Like, if nothing else, given the eventual reveal we get um, for what was really going on, the fact that Oda remembered this vital piece of information about the Dominion's plans should have been the tip-off that it was a false flag operation. You know, like... Yeah. Like the very fact that you remember Galron being not being the changeling should be proof that he's not. <laughs> um, that being said, I I enjoy these kinds of cliffhangers. They've they've set up the problem and the conflict for at least the first episode or two of the next season, but they haven't painted themselves into the corner that other cliffhangers tend to. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a direct follow up of the scene. Right, which I I, I think is the stumbling block for many a uh, season-ending cliffhanger uh, over the balance of the franchise. So... Yeah, I'm with you. So, yeah, uh, overall, I want to you know, know what happens in Season 5. I, I'm like, oh, shit, Gowron's a changeling? Crap, has he been a changeling the whole time? You know, he couldn't have been the whole time. Could he? Yes, he could. Whatever. Like, I want to know what happens. So... To the extent the cliff that the show's job was to make me want to tune in uh, in the fall, they succeeded. I agree with that. Um, yeah, as artificial as the Gauron reveal is, you're right. It does sort of tickle your fancy as a viewer, you know, and, and a long time viewer. Like, like, ooh, it's Gauron. Oh, I wonder if Gauron's dead. Um, like stuff like that. That's fun. Um, overall, I, I like the writing of this episode. Um, whatever they fail to do with Odo's transformation isn't really this episode's fault. Um, it's a good idea. I think it's a new conflict for Odo. Um, it's some good continuity, um, work. Some nice character moments. Uh, no extraneous B-plot. Um, yeah, I, I think this is a solid well-paced, interesting episode. I agree for the most part. I think the pacing lagged a little bit once they got to the Changeling homeworld. Um, you know, as it typically does. It's, it's just, it's one of those things you're never going to be able to dramatize effectively. You're never going to be able to dramatize goo talking to other goo, you know, in a way that's interesting for the viewer. Uh, at least with like Betazoids talking to each other, you can have dialogue that's delivered. Yeah, it's kind of like the prophet scenes, but worse. You know. I get that. I, 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 yeah. That um, that said, that's only like two or three minutes of the episode, but it's still enough to be like, oh, okay, move on, please. <laughs> you know, it's like I would have liked it if they just like dunked dunked him in and popped him out right away. You know, it's like, wow, that was quick. Well, it doesn't take six hours for, you know, a linking of all minds to immediately reach a conclusion. Um, other than that, I agree. Uh, it, it It's not a very action-heavy episode, actually. Yeah, uh, it's a lot it, of talking. It's a pretty, yeah, it's a pretty sedate cliff, cliffhanger, if you want to call it that. Uh, it's a sedate season-ender. You know, there's no battles. Uh are there even any like the closest thing to a fist fight is Worf and Garrick. Yeah. Um you know, it's uh it's interesting. It's it's not 
what you might go in expecting it to be. Given other DS9 season cliffhangers or other TNG season cliffhangers. Yeah. Um, acting wise, Salome Jones was good. Um, you know, uh, she does a good job of being weird and other, but also being different than Odo. Yeah. Um, she seems like she has her own sort of, uh, I don't know, set of goals and her own sort of personality. Yeah. The Jemadar weren't terribly interesting this episode. Um, they weren't really written that way. Yeah. Um, I mean, who in the main cast do you think? I mean, obviously this is an Odo show. Yeah, I think Gaubergeois did a good job. Um, I like Garrick. I liked uh, Kira and Quark scenes with Odo. Um, I liked Cisco's scene with Garrick, where he's like, "Yeah, you can be the one to uh, sit with him because you know the rest of us can't." Like that. That was that was a nice moment. Um, yeah, like other than. You know, Odo himself, I don't think anyone got any big acting jobs to do, but I think what they got, they all handled well. You know, if I were in charge, or if I had been in charge, I think I would have changed the structure of this episode a bit. I think I would have had them get to the Changeling homeworld much sooner in the episode and have had maybe the last third be... Odo dealing with stuff um, because I, I feel like that's stuff you should take care of in this episode to set the parameters of, you know, how he's been changed and what that means for him. And I, I think that would have, uh, cause that's, that's the in really interesting question. Right. I, I, is I, I how does that. a character, how does a character deal with such a fundamental change to his or her being? Um, whereas, you know, sort of the, it's like, they, they black out the view screen and they're on a ship and, you know, like maybe they could have dealt with the scene with Garrick and Worf was so interesting and so brief. Like that could have been like five or 10 minutes of a show. Yeah. Uh, so personally, I feel like things could have been uh, moved around and expanded or contracted a bit. I would have contracted a lot of the getting there stuff and instead have expanded the consequences, the sci-fi issues, you know, that kind of thing. Um, anyway, the acting was perfectly adequate, if not uh, even a little better than that. Um, production values, actually, gotta say, kind of weak. Uh, Maybe a bit of a mixed bag. I, I, a lot of the digital effects just didn't come off. The practical makeup on Odo I thought was really good, particularly in some of the later sick bay scenes. It really looked like that dude was melting. Um, but the Changeling planet did not look all that great. Yeah, uh, so the, the rock didn't look good. The, the mixture of physical and optical effects was not great. The space stuff looked fine. You know, the Jemadar ships looked pretty decent. Um, I liked the Jeffrey's tube set. Yeah. <laughs> the Defiant sickbay was good, although the DS9 sickbay was not. Um, you know, pretty mediocre, I would say. Nothing really stood out. With the possible exception of the makeup. But even that, it was just kind of slimy. Um... 
Like, you know, for me, this is a three. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Three is a perfectly fine episode. I, don't, I just don't feel like it reached for much. Um, you know, it, it, it didn't tell me the really interesting, you know, sort of utilitarian Garrick story. You know, it's like he wants to uh, engage in a, a small act of genocide to save lots of people. You know, that's an interesting question. And it was given short shrift. Uh, and then also it didn't really reach for the, you know, what does it mean to change in that way? Um, on the other hand, uh, I I wasn't terribly bored. I, I enjoyed, I agree with you completely that the character stuff, you know, was nice and interesting. Um, heck, I would have liked it more scenes with Garrick and Odo, like the, the innuendos, yeah. half-truths and bald-faced lies. Um, you know, it, it's like certain things were just kind of not in the place that I'd want them to be or not at the length that I'd want them to be. That it's just kind of my gut feeling. About no, it. I get that. I think it's, I think it's borderline. I think it's, you know, there's a perfectly fine argument to make for a four. Yeah, which I'm about to make. Cause I, I'm going to go with the four. I, I think the, the sum of this episode is sufficiently entertaining over its, it, you know, with the exception of maybe the rock skipping scene over its entire length and certainly left me wanting to know what happens in season five. And I appreciate the attempt to continue and effectively combine the Dominion and Klingon arcs that they started at the start of the season that I think this makes it into a four for me. Yeah, I, I like all that stuff. Um, I think I've, I've just come to the conclusion that Great Link episodes can tend to be a little bit on the boring side. Uh, I, I haven't seen a good one yet. Yeah. Um, at, well, good. I haven't seen a great one yet. Uh, this episode was fine. The Great Link scenes themselves were just kind of blasé. Um, yeah, I, you know, I think this is a solid episode, but it doesn't really it doesn't wow me. There have been some really great episodes in this season that have completely wowed me and this just feels different than those you know like way of the warrior for instance you know that was one we gave fours i believe Mm -hmm. and uh you know that one it's not because it was full of explosions and stuff but it just it was really crisp like things just kept happening and it was very punchy and you know i i was interested in every succeeding scene and there was nothing that I was really like, man, I wish they had like ditched that or expanded this. That's just, you know, this one felt like it was, you know, a couple rewrites away from, you know, really being uh, sort of kick ass, but that it wasn't bad by any stretch. Um, and it also didn't uh, do the sorts of things that say the visitor or what's the part times hard time was certainly interesting from a you know sort of sci-fi idea standpoint but also the the love story the uh dax oh rejoined yeah you know like those episodes to me are the real highlights of this season because they really push the boundaries of you know interesting strange ideas you know 
Like, what if they have a big what if, right? To me, the big what if of this episode is what if you were one kind of being and then you were changed into another? And they kind of whiffed on it. And I grant you, you know, they're going to, I guess the decision was made to have that be a series of recurring vignettes, you know, like a scene here and a scene there, as opposed to really focusing on it for half an episode. But, you know, I'm kind of yearning for the focus on it. Because, let's be honest, Odo is the Data character, right? Yeah. Had Data been turned into a real boy, that's something that they should spend a whole episode on, right? That's just how it seems to me. Now, granted, Odo is not like Data because he doesn't actually want to be a solid or something. You know, he he's more conflicted. But that's just, I feel like you can't do something that big to him and then just sort of not have that be the, the focus of the episode. That's, I don't know. It's just how I'm feeling about that. I mean, you know? I think they do a partial job of that in the next episode. So yeah, but we'll you know we'll we'll judge when we get there. Okay, so overall, obviously, this is a significantly better season um, than the than the three that preceded it. Um, yeah. Um, Haven't seen the numbers yet, but I'm I'm guessing we'll see it probably like a full half a point. Yeah. Uh, increase on average. Yeah, my guess it's, is, I, I think preliminarily, um, just looking at before the last few episodes get filled in, some certainly better than what we gave TNG Season 2, maybe a hair under what we gave TNG Season 3. Not yeah, by a ton, but maybe not quite there. But yeah, yeah like this, if nothing else, this season had energy and focus, and even when they abandoned the season plot, most of what they offered in the meantime was still good and interesting and fun. Um, there were only like only two real dogs come to mind, and that would be um, Sons of Moog and the Muse. Um, Sons of Moog, because of its atrocious ending, and the Muse for being weird and somewhat <coughs> purposeless. Um, but th- th- beyond that, I don't think that there were any real stinkers, you know? Yeah, I agree with that. Um, And in fact, uh, so let's think about some of the episodes that are not part of the sort of overall story. I mean, first of all, this season has Homefront and Paradise Lost, which, of course, you know, we both adored as a two-parter. You know, there's a topical, you know, political thriller, uh, unlike something like Star Trek Into Darkness that, you know, how how much do we love the home front Paradise Lost? Let us count the ways. I mean, it's it tells a story that even had American history not taken the turn it did post-2001, it would still be a good story. It would still be really interesting and really thought-provoking. But then given that historical resonance, you know, it, it's just... Yeah, it's great, right? And that that was part of the main uh, changeling sort of plot. Um, But there were a lot of, you know, sort of... We didn't love Shattered Mirror either. Um, Uh, Yeah. There were a lot of standalone episodes that really, really worked 
and they worked as good Star Trek. You know, so that's what we were talking about with uh, the Visitor. You know, the Visitor is very Star Trek, but it's also very Deep Space Nine because it focuses on this father-son relationship that doesn't really exist in any of the other shows. Yeah, it's true. Right? Uh, maybe Remember Me. Yeah. Is is the closest to that because you have the strong father, sorry, uh, mother mother-son bond. Uh, but the Visitor takes that to the nth degree. Yeah. Um, but it's also a very Star Trek show. I mean, it's about love sort of persevering over time, um, you know, with this sort of science fiction element. Um, you know, Little Green Men was an interesting departure. Uh, well, I would say looking at the, the one-off episodes, the, the improvement was a couple of things. We are, while still dealing with it on occasion, we are getting away from the extraneous B plot. They have, they seem to have done a better job of freeing themselves from the TNG-style story of the A and B plot. Well, you know, the, the A and B plot, I mean, DS9 has done it sort of worse than any other series. Uh, you know, and you, you mentioned this in a previous review, you know, the, the cast of characters is so disparate that many times there's like, there's just no way you're going to make those A and B plots marry with each other. It's right. just not going to happen. There's, the, there's no thematic or pre- like, you, like an episode like uh, I was just thinking off the top of my head was like New Ground. Okay, yes. we're telling a story about the science experiment gone wrong and Worf's new relationship with his son. And yeah, but at inter- least the disaster on the ship can also play into the B story. Right, you know? because they're in the same place doing the same things. When especially after we get the Defiant, like, th- there's just no reason on some level for Quark's day to always intersect with Cisco's. That just wouldn't make sense. So, yeah, I'm happy that we eventually seem to get away from that, which is what the serialized storytelling really frees them up to do since we're going to many unrelated stories this episode and advancing each of them a little bit then it doesn't feel like an unrelated b story it feels like following up on one of the other story threads the season is working yeah i agree with that um and many of the best episodes this season have no b story whatsoever uh you know so the visitor definitely does not have a b story um Homefront and Paradise Lost. Do they really have B stories? I don't think they do. No. Uh, even something like The Quickening, you know? Yeah. No B story. Uh, Hard Time, no B story. Um, well, it's like the writers finally trusted themselves. There's, It's clear from the earlier, even earlier interviews with um, Ron Moore and Iris Stephen Bear, they have ideas. They are not Gene Roddenberry's ideas, but they have ideas. And this season felt like the first time, like, I like season three, and I, I liked it more than you did by the numbers, and I and in my head, that's when the show got better. Certainly, and I, and, and I think it is better than seasons one and two. It, it didn't hit high gear maybe until seasons four and five, but there's a sense for me in season four that the writers finally trusted themselves and were trusted by management to do what they wanted to. And... I, and I think that reflects in a lot of in a lot of the other stuff. Like in a lot of the one-off episodes, they trust the actors to do what they're good at. You know, Cork gets fun, interesting homilies about greed, and O'Brien we just beat up on him one more time. Like everyone got to do 
good work that the act the, the writers seemed to know how to write for the characters the actors were comfortable in their roles a, a lot of stuff came together yeah. this season yeah i agree with that um really you know the way you described it uh you know sort of energy uh sort of forward momentum like yeah. they're they're it, they're just Yes, there there were still a few, you know, maybe not rank stinkers, but you know, it's like, eh, I really don't want to watch another mirror show, and I really don't want to watch the Muse, and you know, I I wasn't thrilled with uh, the sort of Kayless, for instance, but at least that had some good guest stars. Um, well, if nothing else, like take even the ba- the first decision season four of X, introducing Worf. That could be a disaster. It could feel cheap and cloying and pandering. But goddammit, if we're bringing in Worf, we are going to bring Worf in. We are going to do it. There's going to be like a, a like a Ron Moore-shaped hole in the wall from where he ran full steam into it, introducing the Worf character into the show. Like, it didn't feel timid or apologetic or half-assed. Like, if, if anything, it was full-assed. Well, and, and that, that's how, you know, sort of previous guest uh, stints were, like the Q episode. Blah, right, you know, right. Or, or the Loaxana episodes. Yeah. You know, it's like, why is, this be, why is this happening, you know? And so that's your first instinct when you see Way of the Warrior is to be like, what the hell? Why is this happening? But very in very short order, they LA your fears and – it becomes obvious that this is not just, you know, even if it is a stunt to improve ratings, they're going to tell a great story with it. Right. You know? Um, so yeah, I agree with you there. Um, yeah, overall, uh, there's just a lot more to like in this season. And part of it is coming up with a good villain. Um, you know, some people say that TNG didn't really, start clicking until they got their Borg, you know. Um, I disagree with that, of course, but uh, to some degree, it does help to have a good adversary. To have it, It's kind of like the, you know, the, the, the thing that is in the background of other stories, you know, and you feel a certain sense of menace and a certain sense of purpose. The fact that they were able to mention something, one thing, over and over and over yeah helped a lot yeah. of episodes yeah you know it just helped it feel like oh yeah i'm in this place and there are things going on and i'm interested and even if they only do it for like a minute i'm cool with it yeah previous to this it had kind of been bajor and cardassia and i in some ways they just kind of whiffed on that like they didn't really go whole hog yeah, they never knew what to do yeah to- so in some ways, I think this is returning to safer ground. Uh, it's like we have a villain, and that's not to say it's unoriginal. I mean, they, they created a relatively original uh, setup with the Dominion. Yeah. You know, but there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. You know, you've got your genetically engineered soldiers. You've got your, your Vorta. You know, you've got your changelings. So great. You know, and it, it didn't feel like it, it t- ties in with the Odo character. So that's good. But in, in some ways, it is sort of returning to sort of safe ground. You know, it was a very risky choice 
to say, we're going to center these plots around this planet that has this religion. And, you know, it's like <laughs> you could probably like feel the scrotums tightening on, you know, studio executives <laughs> as, as they were listening to this. And it's like, Oh, I guess we'll trust you, you know? And <laughs> I think season four in many ways is sort of reining things in a bit and, and bringing them back to a more traditional sort of action sci-fi storytelling. Um, and that's not a bad thing because, hey, they had three seasons to work on it and they didn't do a whole hell of a lot with it, frankly. Um, so, you know, I'm happy with the direction they've gone in. I, I wish they could have, you know, really made Bajor interesting because I think there's a lot of really interesting stories to tell. Yeah, like... The, the season two opener, you know, good Definitely. show. Yeah. Definitely. They just never found a way to bring Keep that doing. home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think season four, it's, uh, it's really riding the ship in some ways. Yeah. You know, I feel like the ship was kind of listing if you let me extend the metaphor, you know, uh, and, and they, they jettisoned some ballast and they, they got, things back on an even keel um that was pretty nice what i did there okay um do you agree with that yeah yeah i see i see your point on uh on the overall plot changes um because even the stuff that we did with cardassia like with ducat um were of a different tone than what we were trying to do before so yeah if nothing else I think the the goal in doing the Bajor Cardassian stories was to tell a tonally different story in the Star Trek universe. And I think with this season, by shifting focus to the Klingons and the Dominion, um, they found a way to tell that tonally different story more successfully than they were with the Bajor Cardassian story. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, well... So that's a seven for Broken Link. Uh, I think that's a reasonably fair score. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't think I'm being a curmudgeon. Like, <laughs> I think I'm having a you know, relatively, uh, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, straightforward, you know, response to the episode. I'm, I'm trying not to just like make it so that TNG is better or something. Um, you know, th this to me, a as episodes go, you know, it reminds me of, say, uh, if I'm thinking of other season finales, um, you know, like maybe it's a little better than Descent, but maybe it's not quite as good as uh, Time Zero, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's a lot better than Descent. Come on, we gave Descent a four. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's certainly better than Shades of Grey. Uh, <laughs> it's better than the Neutral Zone, which I liked. Um, did I give that a three? I feel like I gave that a three. Um, you know, it's it's, 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 it's a it's, it's a improving. Good we are story. we are we are moving. Unlike pre even like season two started strong, then got weak and ended pretty well 
season three, I think, was on the better, on the whole better. But he, since the beginning of season four, I just felt like there's been this real thrust uh, with the story. And I think that continues with this episode, whatever individual problems with the episode we may have identified. No, I agree with that. This episode doesn't feel like a departure. It feels like it's part of the same thread. Um, and I'm happy that it's part of the same thread. Uh, um, when they tell a Dominion story, I don't go, oh man, another Dominion story. I hope this doesn't suck. <laughs> and that's kind of how I felt with Bajor stories. Uh, it's like, is this going to be about like soil reclamators or something? Because that's not interesting. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just not. Uh, anytime they go to a, a Dominion story, I feel good. Uh, almost every time they've gone to a Klingon story, I, I felt good about it. Yeah. You know? So, hey, two, two great tastes that taste great together. Um, you know, and in some ways, they're, I feel like they're telling better Starfleet stories against those two backdrops yeah. than, they, than they were telling Starfleet stories against the Bajor backdrop. You know, I, I think there were interesting Starfleet stories to tell. They just didn't tell them. And those stories were the kinds of stories that are like, how much should uh, a wealthy culture interfere, you know, w with a, a destitute culture? Like, how much should they try to throw their weight around? How much should they try to redo everything? How many hospitals should they build? How many schools should they, you know, do you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, that. that's sort of the sci-fi story that Bajor is, if you ask me. Um, it's how do we deal, how much help should we give? It, it's kind of like the reverse of the Vulcans and the humans in Enterprise. You know, with Bajor, it's the humans that are the sort of technologically superior, wealthy civilization mm. that should be able to help but doesn't know how much they should. Um, they just didn't really tell that story very much. Uh, yeah, I get that. There, there were some good things. There were, there were some good, like, you know, Holocaust illusions, and you know, there, there have been very good DS9 episodes. They're just doing them with much more frequency now that yeah. they have. Well, I, th I think it's just because they're on familiar ground. They, they're, they're doing something that they're used to, um, and that's telling, you know, a story with a, an antagonist. You know, it's not. <laughs> It can be difficult to screw up a lot of drama, you know, surrounding soil rec reclamators or whatever. You know, when you actually have a villain, things can really get snappy very quickly. You know, they, they kind of whiffed on telling Ducat stories. You know, they should have told a hell of a lot more Ducat stories yeah. uh, because he was a villain. He was a good villain. Uh, that's not to say they're not going to get back to him. Of course they are. Uh, but they have... How do you feel the Dominion ranks as a Trek antagonist? Below the Borg, below Q, like a like a 3A and a 3B with the Cardassians. Um, I like the idea of the Dominion they had at the start. The like, uh, and from some interviews, um, Iris Stephen Bear has done where it's like the Dominion was supposed to be 
as large, as advanced, as resourced as the Federation, but with a completely inverted worldview. And that's fun. You know, that's that's cool. That's interesting. I never got that sense as sharply as I think they could have made it. Um, yeah. They never really showed us any Dominion worlds, right? Or what, like, what is like, what does it mean to be a Karma, where the Jem'Hadar, this nebulous, persistent threat that will come and blow you up? But otherwise, both the Dominion and the Vorta, like the Founders and the Vorta, seem to be pretty hands-off. Like, it's not like Wayun is sitting there making day-to-day governing decisions about you know internal Karma politics. So is it like Roman client states? Is it like and th- there's a number of ways you could do monolithic empire. For, like you know, there's you know uh, something like late Roman Empire, you know, micromanagement in which you know they were regulating sons of who could be in what trade guild versus you know an Ottoman model where um, the leadership at the top was pretty absolute, but day-to-day operations of various cities was left much less control like there, there's a lot of ways you could do that you just had to pick one and they never really did and i think yeah. that kind of guts the dominion as a civilization it's kind of it's like, like i beyond being the big bad because the script says so they're not quite as developed as they could have been well i really liked the idea that the founders were a myth yeah and i feel like they stopped being a myth very quickly yeah in ds9 um do you think they're above the Romulans? Well, they suffer the same problem. Um, the Romulans, after the TOS entries, and maybe a couple of episodes, like the Defector, you know, just they, they never got the treatment they deserved. Because the, the Romulans had that same feel. And what, like that was the point of what, that's what made Balance of Terror so interesting. It's that they're not necessary. They're not two-dimensionally evil. They're certainly warlike because they were, you know, attacking star bases on their own. But it's not like, you know, like you know, in another life we could have been friends. It's like the the Romulans weren't evil. They were just, you know, in conflict, and that that's interesting. Like how how do the Romulans respond to provocation versus the Federation? What priority? Like the. the there was a really interesting story that could have been told with the Romulans, who seemed like a you know slick, polished, thoughtful, interesting group of people, who just because it's two different groups of people occupying the same space will come into conflict. And watching how they differently respond to it, that could be fun. So I, I think there's like a ball of villains beneath the Borg and Q that didn't quite get the in-depth development that would have made them really, really fascinating. Well, now where do the Klingons fall in this? Uh, they're a little, uh, they're like, they're, they're like on a separate skill tree. I don't, I don't know. It's like, <laughs> like there's the Klingons as Soviet parable, and that's like a separate thing because the the whole point of the Klingons wasn't the Klingons as villain. It was how to starfully respond to the Klingons as villain. Like how should the United States respond to Soviet aggression? Does the fact that the Soviets are being aggressive justify every single action the Federation might take? I mean, that it's almost like the Klingons almost by design in the original series, weren't a real people. They were a avatar to make a point. And by the time we get to next gen, they're this whole Viking warrior thing. And that's like a whole different kettle of fish. Like, when the Klingons were the villains, it almost wasn't important for them to actually be a interesting three-dimensional people. Certain actors like Michael Ansara definitely brought that. 
to the characters, but it wasn't necessary for the Klingons as villain because they're the perception of them as a two-dimensional monolith of evil was like the point of what the Klingons were there for. That's how Star yeah. Trek told its stories. Hmm. Well, either way, uh, I think the Dominion... Uh, isn't it fair to say that the Dominion is DS9's sort of big contribution to Trek lore? Yeah, yeah, like... And, and I think there are parts of the Dominion that succeed very well. But, and this was good plotting on the part of the writers. They intentionally introduced the founders, the Vorta, and the Jem'Hadar to make sure that there was some avenue to tell an interesting story with the villain, regardless of what happened. Like I, I, that was, And that was good, because it turned out, once you hire Jeffrey Combs, like the Vorta are actually kind of scary. They're, they're like that, that mid-level, you know eminence grease behind the throne that, that, that like you know they're the ruthless ones they're the ones who have a blind slightly pragmatic faith in what they're doing and then will do anything to achieve it and they're really good at it like that's they, they're scary like when when Wayun's being like nope we're gonna execute rom yeah and isn't this painting pretty like that's that's a little fucked up so like <laughs> i like the like as villains i think the vorta are more fun than the founders yeah, I agree with that. Um, all right. Anyhow, I guess we should wrap this up. Yeah. Uh, definitely a strong improvement. Uh, even before looking at the numbers, I think it's obvious that that's yeah. what we're going to see. Uh, season four has definitely, um, you know, helped make it okay that I'm watching Deep Space Nine again. <laughs> um Seasons one through three had their bright points, but there were a lot of dim points, too. Uh, now we're going to move on, and we're going to go to season two of Voyager, which uh, I think by any estimation is going to be a bit of a lull after a strong season one. Um, you know, we're going to talk about uh, <laughs> the Kazon as a contribution to Trek lore, and... Um, yeah, that conversation's not going to go well. Yeah. Um, certainly not as well as the Dominion. Uh, but there is still a lot to like about Voyager, and uh, you know, I will be ardently defending it. I'm sure, uh, e even in in the doldrums of season two, and they are doldrums. Um, we're also going to be coming out with uh, First Contact very soon. So. Stay tuned for those podcasts and reviews, everybody. Uh, seven for Broken Link. I, I think that's all I have to say about that. Yep. Uh, we're moving in the right direction, so we'll be eventually back for season five, and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we'll be back with uh, First Contact and then uh, season two of Voyager. Yep. Good night and good luck. Have a good night.